This is Sarah Bordeaux, and you are listening to PodSAM, the podcast channel of SAM Magazine, the voice of the mountain resort industry. The mountain resort industry has been focused on the immediate response to the COVID-19 pandemic, and now that the situation, while not wholly improving, has at least started to stabilize, resort leaders are beginning to look ahead to next season. On this episode, we partnered with Tom Foley of Intopia and Destimetrics to speak with folks from the industry about their season pass strategies. As of the date of this conversation, April 27th, many resorts have reported being significantly off the pace of their season pass sales as compared to the same time last year. However, it is important to note that most resorts pause their marketing efforts in the immediate crisis response to the pandemic and are only just now starting their paid sales push. As resorts begin to put some effort behind season pass sales, we talk about how the products and the messaging are evolving. We kick it off with Sam publisher, Olivia Rowan. Thank you everybody for joining us today on our sixth Monday huddle. I'm Olivia Rowan, publisher of Sam Magazine, and I'll be joined by co-host Tom Foley, who's the SVP of analytics for Intopia. And he also oversees Intopia's Destiny Metrics product line. And we'll also be joined by a virtual panel of GMs with us today and we'll introduce them as we go along. Today's topic, season pass strategies. Season passes and advanced sales have become an important element in Mountain Resorts business models. How has the coronavirus pandemic impacted this revenue stream? What steps are resorts taking to encourage early sales? And as resorts show greater flexibility on terms and sale dates, and new technology makes even greater flexibility possible, but what we all question is, will it be enough to reassure customers to lock in those uh, all important season pass sales? So we're gonna explore that today and more. We're gonna kick off and Tom's gonna take us through some insights and some comments on the state of the industry. So Tom, will you share with us a little bit of a background starter to this conversation? Thank you, Olivia and Rick, and thanks for having um, Antopia join for this. I uh, hope everybody is keeping well. Um, We've been asking ourselves, of course, and our partners a lot of questions over the course of the last several weeks, as everybody has, and tracking as we normally do economic patterns and travel patterns and lodging patterns. And uh, as we think about the different components, I just wanted to take a minute to tee up sort of what we're seeing out there in the economy and and in marketplaces. Um, And, you know, first of all, just touching on the economy. but financial markets, we all know, are in turmoil. They've dropped down as low as uh, just over just under 18,000 points from 29,000 previous highs, settled in around 24,000 points right now. And the reason that's important to us is because that's where uh, consumers really look to get general economic guidance. And when markets misbehave, consumer confidence goes down. And so we, we worry about financial markets primarily from the consumer point of view, for our point of view, but we also got publicly traded companies. We've got uh, companies that have large investment in those markets that help uh, it hurts their bottom line and their holdings. So we're concerned about that. Uh, employment is another one we keep track of, and everybody knows we've lost 26.02 million jobs in the United States just in the last uh, five weeks. Uh, just to give some context on that, that is all jobs going back to October of 1997 in the second year of the second Clinton administration uh, have been eliminated over the course of the past five weeks. That in turn has a secondary impact on consumer confidence, not only for those 26 million people, but the other people who are hearing the news who are still employed, but might be furloughed or otherwise being impacted by changes going on. 
Um, so all this goes down to really consumerism uh, and consumer confidence uh, dropped in March, no surprise there. It's gonna drop again sharply in April, the report comes out this week. Be interested to see what that ends up looking like. Um, but consumerism is the core of what we worry about when we look at the macroeconomics of what's going on up there. So some of that's being reflected in what we're seeing in our lodging data. So we're, we're watching very closely, about 2,000 Intopia lodging partners, some of them are Destinometrics participants, some of them are not, primarily in the destination travel industry and most likely focused into the ski industry. And what we're really seeing is, first of all, that any occupancy levels for the next 60 days or so that do exist in the industry are really only being accounted for, are only accounting for homeowners who have left urban centers, gone up to their second homes and are staying in there where they're doing their shelter in place. Uh, paid occupancy is really sitting below 2% for April, for May, and now starting to bump up into June, starting to look a little bit more normal. July, August, September occupancy levels are actually looking surprisingly like normal performance. So that bodes well for us. And it goes back to what we've always talked about, about the dedication of mountain travelers. Um, but there are a couple other things that are going on up there. About 52% of all inquiries that are coming into properties right now are either cancellations or rebookings, and about 38% of those are rebookings, which means that about 68% of them, or 62% of them rather, are cancellations. And that's problematic in and of itself for all the reasons that we know. The positive is that that number is way down from where it was. It was uh, at one point, 95% of all inquiries coming into properties for cancellations. But as the short lead cancellations have uh, fulfilled, if that's the right word, and those uh, transactions are off the books, we've now got consumers who are holding pattern uh, at mountain uh, destinations. And we're really seeing things sort of pick up, as I said earlier, into something more normal for July, August, September. Uh, but near and arrival dates are the hardest hit. Cancellations and rebookings originally scheduled for June are now starting to cancel as some of that uncertainty gets pushed out by a week here and a week there and so forth. Um, the new increase for uh, new bookings and the rebookings do have a, a couple interesting patterns. And one of them is seasonality. Rebookings that happened during March and April when there were primarily people who were canceling ski vacations, primarily were rebooking for January through April, 2021. So there's an interesting seasonality there. And as those ones have come off the books, we're now seeing that summer rebookings, people who were arriving in May and now early June, are trying to rebook for August, September, and something that's a little further out, a little safer, but still in those warm months. The most common dates for which we're seeing new transactions right now are in order, August, and then there's a group of September through December, July, and January. January was or July was leading the pack a couple weeks ago, but as people start to get a little antsy about that, it's pushed back a little bit as well. So the, the upshot of, of bringing you up to date on, on that macroeconomics and what we're seeing transactionally in the lodging side of things is really to talk about economic and societal uncertainty and what we're seeing out there. So, you know, in recent years, season pass has become such a massive presence, right, both in the marketplace and on the balance sheet. And there's some 40 to 44% of all skier days can be attributable season pass sales. Um, but so the industry has really come to rely on that money and the skier uh, in the bank well before the season opens. But, uh, you know, long lead nature of that product, uh, relatively high price, uh, the faith component, uh, which is traditionally faith in snow conditions, but now it also has to be thought of as faith in health and crowding conditions kind of make it uncertain. And so I started asking questions around best practices and, and they've been really well established, especially in the last 10 years or so. 
at operations of all sizes, whether they started wondering, uh, and, and I started wondering whether or not those best practices would hold still as we went into some new realities. Um, but you know, as a data guy, if you change the denominator, you change everything upstream from the denominator. And there are several denominators that are around season passes that uh, I don't think of any of them holding still right now. So there has to be some upstream rethink about those best practices, which led me over to Rick and Olivia to talk about things. Thus this call and an opportunity to, to listen to those people right at the root of this and uh, ask a few questions and see if we can't share some information, a few answers. So with that, I, I'm gonna turn it back over to Olivia and hope that's uh, got us kicked off. Thanks, Tom, that does. Let's turn the discussion to our panelists. Um, season passes come in a lot of shapes and sizes. There are a myriad of variations from the larger operations to the smaller operators. Will passes need new product components to create yet greater flexibility coming out of this crisis or do we need to simplify them? Um, we're going to tee up Vern Greco um, first um, and get your take on what your season pass products look like and are you and, and what's your thinking behind them um, and what you've launched. Uh, good morning, Olivia. And uh, before I get started, let me just say, I think the macroeconomic info that Tom uh, put out there, helpful for sure. There's also a couple of encouraging notes in there to hear him say that as we get into midsummer or late summer, that things look... Uh, anywhere close to normal, I think that's very encouraging because anything in closer to that doesn't have any semblance at all of normal. So uh, I'm, I'm encouraged by that as well as, you know, the, the March-April cancellations that were out there having moved to January to March next year. That's encouraging as well. I speak, I think it speaks to that uh, everlasting optimism that we all have as skiers. Um, I'll tell you where, where we are, Pacific Group Resorts, uh, and that's five properties across North America, ranging all the way from Mid-Atlantic, New England, Colorado, and uh, British Columbia, uh, we're off significantly. What we're doing and what we have done, I think resemble what the industry as a whole has done. There's a, uh, there's a blend of ingredients out there, if you will, and everybody uses their own weighting on those ingredients to decide how they're gonna treat season passes. But generally speaking, you've got price, you have terms, you have added value, and then more recently, you've got this issue of assurance, assurance towards what happens next fall or what happens early next, next winter early if the worst case scenario happens to, to come back up. Like I say, I think almost everybody's using a blend of those kinds of ingredients. We've had a low price pass out there for, uh, for a number of years. It's been very significant for us, very successful for us. Um, we have employed some revised terms, generally extended uh, deadlines. We've put some payment plans in there so people can spread that payment out over the course of the summer and fall. Those are all pretty well received. My concern is where are those deadlines, okay? And in our case, we may in fact be too early with a deadline. We have a deadline coming up uh, this next weekend, May 3rd. And as I look at that in retrospect, uh, that's probably not far enough out because the fact of the matter is, I think the biggest thing that's influencing season pass sales right now is uncertainty. And that uncertainty comes in a lot of different ways. It comes economic uncertainty and health uncertainty, uh, whether or not there will be a resurgence in the summer or in the fall or early winter, 
there was a little bit of heightened or a little bit of uh, uncertainty about the shortened season last year and what the reaction was going to be to that. That's been cleared up largely as of this morning and, and late last week with Icon and Epic now both taking their positions in terms of, of assurance. But um, May 3rd is clearly not going to change the economic uncertainty. And that's a big one. 26 million jobs lost, I think is what Tom said uh, in the last five weeks. Those people that are out of work right now, if you're out of work, even with a low price pass with a payment plan, I think the large majority of those people are gonna put tap the brakes. Are they really gonna buy a season pass in May for next year with all the other uncertainties that are out there that are a bit of an X factor? So that's what we're doing. Those are my concerns. Um, I don't think we, I'm almost certain that as of May 3rd, we will not be close to where we were at one year ago with our season pass sales. And how that manifests itself as we get a little bit closer to the season, uh, will those people migrate to some other kind of loyalty product, a four pack or a six pack? Will they migrate to just day tickets? Uh, will they migrate at all? You know, I, I mentioned the various levels or kinds of uncertainty. Health uncertainty is a big one. And again, as we go back to the numbers that we all know so well, how many of our skiers, those boomers, that are in that demographic right now that are be, being told, you're probably going to be singled out in any of the loosening of restrictions as we phase these uh, re restriction loosenings coming up. Uh, that 60 and older group is gonna be told, mm, not so fast there, okay? That's a concern because those people still make up a significant percentage of our skiers and they're frequent skiers. They're typically affluent skiers. They've got extended families that they're bringing to the ski areas. So I look at that as another one of our concerns. Have you considered the, this change in demographic in, in projecting forward that you may be serving a new, a new group of skiers because of this concern for the, the older crowd? Yeah, I don't, I don't know that we'll be serving a new group of skiers, but I think that um, the or weight is going gonna, is gonna to be a little bit different. Sure, at least early on in the season. I mean, that, that older skier group, I just think by nature, is going to be more cautious about everything they do. And I think you're going to see that in the next week, two weeks, even in the next 30 days. You know, the governor of Colorado is rolling out loosened restrictions even as of last night, but that older group is still targeted and still being told you should not take advantage of some of these loosened restrictions. If that carries through into the fall and into the early winter, those customer shifts are definitely going to be there and we'll have to deal with it. I don't think it's necessarily a new customer, but I think it's a shift in the, in the percentage of the people that are on the hill. Thank you so much, Vern, for sharing. John Burton of Timberline, uh, you have a large drive through market out of Portland. What would be a, a normal season pass sales outcome and what are you projecting this season? And <laughs> That's, um, to be transparent, Timberline, we don't uh, pre-sale passes in the spring. We're fortunate enough to have a really long season here and we roll out at a very aggressive spring program. And then we have a summer program and things get pretty muddled. But uh, we're deep in strategy for next fall. Um, yeah, and, and uh, we're also kind of sitting on the fence. We have plans A through L. Uh, at the moment um, and what we're trying to do is just wrap our heads around what it is we're going to be selling um, in the fall so what is that product um, 
what type of restrictions are going to be put on the resort, if any, but probably likely some. And then taking a look at uh, restructuring our pass offerings um, based on what we're actually going to be selling. So, um, you know, for the first time, uh, we're actually talking about putting a cap on season passes because we probably won't be able to service the demand. You know, um, you referenced our large Portland market. This The weekends up here are pretty pretty crazy. Some of my colleagues on this call on Mount Hood can certainly vouch for that as well. Um, so we're just, we're, we're on the fence and we're ready to go with, uh, you know, a typical structure. We are rolling out a credit program uh, that can be applied to next year's passes to sort of incentivize people with a, a little bit of uh, buyer apprehension. Um, but we do have a little breathing room, so I don't have any any metrics on what we're up or down um, relative to last year because we're simply not on sale. Okay, and for the for your all important summer season, um, where where does this where is your right? Your we're ready to go, um, but we're kind of you know we need the governor to lift restrictions. The 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 um, the interest and the demand this summer is larger than it ever has been. We're drawing a radius. You know, basically anybody within 20 hours of driving, um, they're all coming here. Uh, people aren't flying. They're not flying here. They're not flying to Europe. Um, so that's good. While we're expecting a very busy summer, if if we're allowed to actually operate, um, but B, we're we're looking at maybe limiting that because we're going to have to you know curtail the traffic, have the responsible social distancing protocols, and and different different. Uh, summer mountain operations um, based on the scenario. So interest is there. If someone can get open, you're going to be busy. Yeah. Uh, thanks, John. Yeah. So for, for operators that count on international season pass holders, how do you adjust for an almost certain reluctance to travel internationally? That's, that's for sure going to be a challenge. Is there a way for season passes to help drive business to pure flight destinations that are likely to face uh, stronger competition this season from drive markets? Um, so I'm going to put that to Christian Knapp of Aspen Skiing Company. Um, Christian, what are your plans to market to the international audience? And have you begun to think about the COVID-19 assurances for the out-of-town travelers? Uh, first off, Thanks, Olivia and Scary Management and everybody. Great to see everybody on the call. Um, <laughs> quite frankly, international is definitely low on the priority list for us right now. We are Aspen Skiing Company and Aspen Snowmass Resorts are very international by nature. Um, probably the highest percentage of international visitation in the United States. Um, so we are very concerned about that. But honestly, I think that is probably going to be the last thing to recover. Um, a lot of our customers come from Brazil, Argentina, Europe, Canada, Australia. Um, those are big fly markets. Those countries have limited air service to North America right now and for the foreseeable future, quarantines in place, all of that. So, so I think that will be like group business and conventions. That will be one of the last things to recover uh, from COVID. So we are, like everybody else on the call here, really focused on our drive markets, on our loyal season pass products, making sure that um, we're putting out the right products for our customers um, in these times of uncertainty. Um, I am encouraged to see the industry coalescing around incentive credits versus refunds for 
non-date specific products. Um, I think if, if a bunch of resorts had gone out early and, and started doing refunds um, based on this past truncated season, that would have been problematic for a lot of us. So, so it is good to see that. Uh, I am seeing more variance on people with pack products and stuff. Some people are letting those roll the next year or issuing a refunds. Um, pushing back deadlines, as Vern mentioned, are going to be critical. Um, right now, having a deadline in place is not probably going to go over well if people are still sequestered in their homes. Um, you know, concerned about their jobs, um, job loss, all of that kind of stuff. So I think pushing deadlines into the summer, fall is going to be super important. Seeing some resorts throw in additional summer benefits, which I think is, is good, but becoming more problematic by the day with uncertainty of summer operations now. Uh, hopefully we all are able to do some kind of operations this summer if we have them, but um, it's definitely getting um, tougher. Um, so I think the bottom line on this plan, like everybody, is sort of flexibility. It's extremely critical. I can't tell you how many times we've changed our season pass plan. It's daily changing um, as we see all this stuff come through. Um, but cut, the bottom line, the customers are right now, they're not willing, they're not in a position to commit uh, without full refundability. I mean, I know myself personally, I wouldn't buy a plane ticket right now or book a hotel room or um, make plan some sort of trip without full 100% refund ability um, just because of the unknown nature of the, where we're at. I think the assurance program that ICON rolled out last week was strong, uh, allowing it, um, passes to be rolled to 21, 22, should the season be impacted or a person's personal situation change. So I think that's been good. Payment plans are gonna be critical. And I think um, Vail Resorts announcement is extremely generous. Um, I think uh, 20 to 80% renewal credits is probably the highest I've seen in the industry at this point. Uh, obviously they're a big company and they have the, they have the people to manage that. It's pretty logistically challenging to do, um, custom refunds by, you know, usage and all that and send those out in unique codes to every person. Um, but they have the capability to do that and they're going to deliver on that. So I kudos to them. Um, and I like them dropping the insurance, um, need. Um, if you pull that out, maybe that becomes a long-term outcome of this crisis. The insurance thing didn't didn't help people with COVID. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a small percentage take up, take us up on it anyway. So perhaps um, loosening that up and being more generous in refunds um, certainly now is going to be critical and maybe into the future. Um, for Aspen, we're, you know, we're not, we have not gone live with our sales yet. We're waiting, um, but we traditionally have not done spring pass sales. So we're sort of in a different position than a lot of resorts. So we are going to, we're probably gonna go out in the next few weeks um, and you'll see us using a blend of these tactics that we've been talking about. Um, but I think the, the messaging is critical. Uh, I want a tip of the hat to Steve Wright, who's on the call. I think uh, Jay and Steve have been leading this message in terms of uh, empathy and compassion for the customer, loosening up, making changes on the fly, adapting to the situation and giving people um, you know, low deposits and uh, full refundability options is, is critical. Thanks, Thanks, Christian. Um, Steve, I'm sorry, I'm going to put you on the spot. Can you just, um, for, for the crowd here, just give them a, a, a little synopsis of what you have done with your past product? Um, it's more or less the, the same uh, package of options that, that Vern and Christian talked about. It was, a, you know, we integrated a payment plan, which we had never done before, which was difficult to do with, you know, a thousand people laid off and three people in the office, one of them being the security guy. Um, so Intopia really, <laughs> really came to our rescue there and, and helped us with that. We put in a, 
no no questions asked refund that if by October 1st your situation changed either financially or, or health wise you get all your money back and then if for whatever reason the season doesn't uh, either start or finish you can push your uh, your pass uh, in its entirety to the next season so we just we I think just we ended up getting out there early with it I don't think it's really any different than what a lot of the a lot of folks are doing it's just that we ended up getting out there a little bit earlier and you did like $25 down is that did you say yeah that? 25 bucks down that's and fully refundable yeah just a follow-up how's it been received is it being received well and is it the feedback that you're getting good or you too early to tell uh the feedback's been fantastic the actual sales haven't <laughs> so people are saying thanks uh they just haven't showed up yet the first deadline's june 10th and we just really started a paid campaign on Friday. So the next, uh, the next two or three weeks are probably going to tell the story. Several things that we've talked about here sort of come together into a, a few different multiple questions that kind of encapsulate into one. But, um, and, and I'm we're going to start by directing this off to Jeff Hathaway. But, um, you know, we would expect that consumers have this, we, we know this wait and see attitude you're seeing that now Steve just talked about yeah the people are responding well but the numbers aren't there on the sales um, and you know same day trips are probably going to become you know more important this necessary or possibly to the consumer at least than being able to purchase in advance and I, I wonder if there is an anticipation at this time as you do calculus you know what's going to happen with ticket window prices so that that kind of led off to a second conversation uh, about capacity and and mix. So if we really think about the denominator of capacity, I think that there are some pretty calcu calculated methods of approaching season pass goals and intents. Uh, and if you if you think about capacity being cut as social distancing is put in place, and hypothetically, let's say that you can lift 50% of the people that you could before, Specific to revenue, do you think about the calculus for your mix of season pass expectations versus walk-up sales differently now? Do you cut them both by half? Or do you say, you know, we're not going to make those, those, those season pass sales. Maybe we're going to rely more on ticket windows. So how does the, the consideration about how you achieve some equitable version of bottom line based on new capacity come into play when you think about season tickets where you would normally maybe rely on 40% of one type of sale and 60% of another. Um, have you gotten to a point where you're thinking that through yet? You know, from, from our standpoint, uh, you know, our approach on the season pass front was to delay when we put, put out season passes for about two weeks from our normal date, just so we could take a look at the landscape and get a feel for what's going on. And then we came in with a kind of a comprehensive approach, similar to how Steve goes about it up at Jay. And uh, we actually included a price decrease. I don't think anyone else has really kind of done that, but we were just looking at the landscape in spring and going, you know, what, what do we need to do? And we looked at a number of ways in terms of price, uh, providing some type of guarantee for customers that if we lose the season next year and things of that sort, plus recognizing first responders and nurses. And so it was a, it was a full package, things that we haven't done, like a payment plan, all that kind of stuff we, we added. You know, I think with the, with the positive messaging that you get, you know, and, and you know, JPEG's really good at it. I think we're pretty good at it, being pretty upfront with our customers and kind of bringing them along in with our thinking as we go. And so your your question, 
now on this particular issue is something I, I brought up in my last Alpine update. We don't really have an answer to it yet, uh, but uh, the idea, you know, especially with uh, Baldy going to this very restricted 10% of capacity golf course model, uh, because uh, they were in California and obviously the golf courses uh, use that, uh, were open, so they use that type of model. It doesn't mean it's going to be our model, but as we look ahead and think about, okay, we've got, you know, our season passes are doing really well. We don't expect to see any decline there. Uh, and if we think about some type of restricted capacity uh, next year, which I think we all have to think about because it ain't going anywhere in terms of COVID. So um, I think that's going to be a part of how we go to business successfully is to have potentially some type of restricted access in terms of number of people that are allowed in the resort, certainly in the lodge and things of that sort. Um, we have to look at it. I don't know what that number is, and I don't think any of us do, but we kind of have to potentially prepare for that. And so, you know, if we continue to be successful in selling season passes, we're going to have a lot, a lot of season pass customers. It's going to take up capacity. Uh, and as I've, you know, from our standpoint, that that money is pretty much spent. You know, we have to spend that in the off season as an independent resort, you know, just fixing up the place and making repairs and doing all the things we got to do. Uh, so where's the revenue going to come during the season? Now we're a, a drive to market. Uh, so we expect the season probably to be good for us uh, in the Northeast, uh, especially Southern Vermont, because we're very accessible. But again, the issue is going to be, you know, the Northeast has been hit pretty hard with COVID. How does that evolve? Um, and will we be, handle, be able to handle that type of traffic on, on a day ticket front? So uh, what I talked about in my Alpine update were, were two things, to prepare people for potentially uh, not having discounted offerings during uh, the season. So because we're gonna have a fairly high capacity in terms of season pass holders, we need to make money with our day tickets and this may have effects for Entopia, Liftopia, and things of that sort. Uh, whereas, you know, obviously we go out there in the market on a traditional year, we'll have early early sales on, you know, day tickets and price, you know, at half price sometimes, a third price, whatever, as we go through the, the metrics. I'm thinking right now for us is uh, for us to be able to afford to be open uh, and, because we're going to be very limited on the day ticket customer side of this potentially uh, that if we have some type of restricted um, uh, gate, so to speak, then we're going to have to charge full price. Uh, now we've got affordable, you know, day ticket prices, but that may be a reality for us to be able to uh, either break even or make some money next year. So that's the thought price. So I'm already telling our customers this now, to prepare them because maybe we don't offer, you know, we, we sell a bunch of freedom four packs where it's, you know, one third off our, our regular price for, you know, a voucher that you can use. Maybe that we don't sell those in advance because we don't know if we're going to have the volume capacity for it and why sell it at a discount if it's high demand uh, a product. So uh, we also offer a throwback card, which, you know, is, crazy good $29 tickets when you buy the card all throughout the year. That usually comes out in October. We may not sell that. If we're looking at a, 
that you know, we're going to have this restricted type of issue, uh, we may not even offer that. So I'm already telling people right now that that may be an issue. It's not a d definitive done deal, but that we're going to have to balance our season pass holders who get in and whatever's left over in terms of whatever our capacity is set at is going to be day ticket customers. And the reality is we may have to offer, uh, you know, charge full price. So that's, you know, some initial uh, thinking on that, uh, that we may have to do something like that. And, uh, you know, it's, we're going to have to be a little flexible as we go, but I think that's as ski areas and operators and things of that sort, uh, we're going to have to unfortunately look at that type of scenario very, very deeply. And, uh, you know, uh, we tend to bring, and maybe this is wrong, but we tend to bring our customers into that conversation earlier so they know and can plan uh, for that eventuality. Um, and we'll see how that goes, <laughs> but uh, kind of that's where we are on that front. Great. Thank you so much, Jeff, for sharing those details. Yep. Um, Howard Katkoff from Red Mountain in British Columbia. Um, what are you doing to get folks to purchase season passes at Red Mountain? And how different is your approach now than it has been in the past? And um, yeah, take us a little bit through your, your thinking behind the scenes. So we, we've had financing through a credit union for 20 years, non-interest payment plan over seven months. And when COVID arrived, our credit union came up to us and they're actually on the fence even continuing it because their credit union was closed. And in a credit union, you have to actually personally go to the bank and sign up to become a member. So we convinced them to continue that. And then just one of the things that we were hearing more than anything was, I've lost my job, it's not a priority, and I need some help. So we went to iSales and asked them if they could put a program together that replicated what we did with the credit union. And within 10 days, they did that. And we are in the midst of our early bird program that ends the end of this week, which will probably be extended. Um, but that, in the last 18 years that I've been here, people would take advantage of that non-interest financing plan, about 10% of our total pass holder base. And now we're finding on a daily basis, 25 to 35% are taking advantage of our own non-interest program. So it certainly has resonated well with our customer. And, you know, the other thing we obviously hear is, what if you don't open next season? And, you know, I followed what Epic did today, which was, you know, bold and, and right. I mean, they can afford it, as someone said, they're a large public company. Um, we're more on the lines of, we can't promise you anything, but we would certainly give you a credit to the following year. Because as someone just said, we too take the capital that we get from these preseason passes and do our you know, annual maintenance and other capital projects. It's, it's quite important. And we have a large resort, you know, it's, it's big, it's almost 3,800 acres. So there's a lot to do for us in the summer months. But you know, for me, you know, the biggest worry that I have is just the industry is really in the crosshairs of this disease with lodging, airlines, F&B, rental, retail. I just have to believe that there's going to be a lot of restrictions for the right reasons. And, you know, for us now, we're thinking of scenarios. How do we protect our staff first and foremost? What's the messaging to these customers this summer and fall 
because it has to be empathetic. You can't sell them, um, but you have to give them the comfort that we are doing everything possible to protect their vacation. Because I think um, we have a, a very large core group of skiers that come from um, North America and around the world, but everybody is going to have this level of cautiousness that they've never had before. And this industry in particular touches upon so many elements of the disease. And you know, that's the thing that keeps me up at night right now. Thank you, Howard. Um, I, let's take a, a question from Mike Reitzel. Mike, can you ask the question that I just saw posted there? My question is, how are resorts going to handle situations in which pass holders have to be turned away because of the capacity or social distancing restrictions if they are in place? I think the big concern there is that the, how the guest is going to react and how it's going to be felt across the industry if they're being restricted when they bought this pass that for the last however many years has allowed them to go skiing and riding whenever they want. I mean, it's a good question, and I think that the resorts that you know are close to large urban centers like Denver and Seattle and Vancouver and Mammoth, Tahoe, you know, and the East Coast resorts that I'm not as familiar with, but certainly the ones that are Boston and New York, you know, those those cities that support them. I think that they're going to have to put together a program to manage through that and it's going to be tough for those people who bought those passes. And so to me, what we all have to do now is prepare the message now. And I'm a big believer in no surprises. And if you think you're going to get bombarded with visitation, that's going to um, impair the ability to freely let pass holders come and ski, then I think you have to do it. Not today, as we get closer to, you know, hopefully this summer there's going to be some miracle, but. I think we need to at least put them on notice that it's not going to be business as usual next year. And, and I don't think it's going to be. And I think that's the key is to have your, your protocols and take the lead from the government agencies. I mean, we're in British Columbia and they're very hands-on. So, you know, we're going to, we're going to do obviously what we have to do um, to comply. But I also think putting people on notice that things are going to be a little different. And I think for the most part, this industry, the, the consumers are so passionate. Skiing is a unique sport. Um, I have a lot of confidence that those hardcore people are going to be back and they're going to actually need it, but it's going to be modified. And I think the challenge is for all of us to, as we get closer to kickoff, that we certainly understand the limitations and we have announced that to all of our customers, especially our pass holders. Um, uh, I think I saw it come across and the question was whether or not anybody thought that smaller local resorts were gonna benefit over, over pure destinations or flight destinations. And just to, um, rather than pop that out of the group, just let you know that in the data, we're actually already seeing some version of that, where uh, local drive destinations that have a large urban center close to them uh, are seeing um, lodging uh, book earlier with shorter lead times for nearer in dates and a little bit better on, on year over year changes in occupancy. The more pure destination that we're seeing that has more flight or, or longer distance travel related to it is holding on to existing occupancy 
better than the drive markets as people wait to see what's happening with cancellation policies around air travel and air, air, you know, air carriers are asking people to wait until 72 hours before flight, before making changes. And so those bookings are being held on to, but they're not rebooking the same way. So the reservations that are flowing into resorts are flowing more into drive destinations, uh, although drive destinations are more dynamic. There are more cancellations happening early on, more bookings happening early on where bookings is in quotes and small, uh, and peer destinations that have more are holding on to existing bookings longer, but are not performing as well overall. So there is a, a difference between how the two are doing. Thanks, Tom. There's a, an interesting question here. I'm sure somebody must have, but has anybody polled their pass holders on their intents and ability to purchase? Has, has anybody done any um, surveying of their core pass holders? Seems like it would would produce a, a good bit of feedback. So um, if anybody does do that, please get in touch with us and let us know what, what you learned from that. Um, we're gonna jump over to um, talk a little bit um, and get some insights from um, Rob Clark and Trevor Chris. Rob Clark of Aspenward. Rob, you and I discussed um, the many different strategies to pass products um, given our new set of coronavirus circumstances. Um, you're sort of seeing a lot of those playing out and what trends are you seeing that um, are, are working? Yeah, thanks, Olivia, and thanks to Sam for arranging this. This is great. Um, yeah, I'll share a little bit about what we had asked Mercy, seen. We're kind of working around the clock to help resorts roll out some pretty innovative strategies these days. It's going to sound pretty familiar to some items that um, others have mentioned, but we're finding our customers are tackling past sales kind of with a three-pronged approach to address three, three specific concerns. It's ever-changing. Everyone's very reactive to what others are doing, although most are hoping to roll out strategies in the next week or two. Um, resorts are really focused on empathy, as someone else said before, and also don't want to oversell during times like these. But the three items we see people focusing on are how do you provide value or acknowledgement to the 1920 pass holders whose seasons were cut short? People are looking at more creative deferred payment options, a way to lessen the initial financial shock of purchase. And then again, providing assurance if something goes wrong with next season. So what are we seeing with the 1920 pass holders whose seasons were cut short? So, I mean, renewal isn't new, but we're seeing larger renewal discounts on resorts trying to award loyalty um, for those past members. Uh, again, we're seeing the trend that a lot of people have mentioned about providing vouchers or loaded value um, for pass holders. Um, a lot of those vary based on the pass type last year. Um, some passes might, uh, afford different value um, for next year, and also based on the usage of the past, similar to what Vail rolled out today. One of the unique things we're seeing is that that value, in some cases, can be spent on really anything, not just for passes. Um, it's kind of an, a loaded credit or an online, or a, a value that's available that can be spent on anything at the resort, um, but it expires, similar to what airlines are doing with canceled flights where you have a year to use the value. And then, of course, a lot of extending price deadlines and benefits um, and some are going to be probably extending those quite a bit. Um, with deferred payment options, people are really looking at how do you lower the barrier to entry, that kind of financial barrier to entry, and remove the phobia of an upcoming large payment. There's actually three kind of sub-prongs here as well we're seeing with deferred payment. So one is the traditional payment plans, but they're starting to trend away from the simple $50 down balance due in September option. Guests want to split payment over multiple months with no interest. 
Uh, resorts are still offering the super low 25 to $50 down to lower that barrier, barrier of entry to purchase. Uh, but looking at four month plans, six month plans, 12 month plans even in some cases, uh, where in the past those were a lot shorter. Uh, we actually have some resorts that are considering rewarding guests for on-time payment. Um, for example, four buddy tickets if you pay on time, um, something like that. Um, and then again, resorts are looking for a way to manage these electronically. The, the operational overhead to manage failed payments and things like that through a call center can be tough, so they want um, guests to be able to self-manage that. We actually have some Western resorts that are kind of more four-season models that are looking at a monthly subscription option for season passes, almost like a gym membership, where you'd actually still be paying the pass off when you're actually able to use it, which is kind of interesting. Um, and then as someone else mentioned before, the third thing we're seeing is people start to look at third-party financing. Um, with traditional payment, plan, the payment plans, the resort takes on the liability of collecting the payment. Um, with the third-party payment plan options that we're looking at, it actually takes the liability off the resort and puts it on the financing company. The resort actually gets paid the next day for the season pass, and then now that, that burden of payment is between the financing company and the guest. That's really common today in both the travel and retail sectors, and it's starting to kind of come into ski. Uh, one of the unique things about this is it can actually be on the entire cart, not made, perhaps not just the season pass, with a few exceptions like gift cards and things like that. Um, so these companies essentially kind of charge a high credit card fee to the resort for this, um, depending on whether it's 0% interest or higher. And I think, as I mentioned, resorts are also starting to look at offering these for not just passes, but considering offering these kind of third-party financing for lift tickets and rooms and things like that in the future. And then the third thing is that assurance in case something goes wrong with next winter. So ICON was kind of the first to market with the assurance uh, deferral program. Epic just uh, had their answer this morning. It's kind of a new sort of pass protection that we're seeing. Pass protection used to all be all about if something unexpected, unexpected happened for the guest. They had an injury, a financial hardship, a job relocation. Now resorts are looking for a second kind of protection in, in case their season is interrupted. Um, sometimes that's included, like with, uh, with Vail's announcement today, and um, sometimes there's a cost for it. And in summary, passes are the focus now. It's an ever-evolved, people are ever-evolving creative ways to address these, uh, these three items of, of uh, helping the 1920 pass holders defer payment and season pass um, interruption, interruption assurance. We think fall pass sales are actually going to be more significant than ever, really. And one of the really interesting things to kind of close it out here is we've actually had four or five resorts already reach out to do some initial planning on what it might look like to only offer lift ticket sales online next year, um, not at the window at all, um, what it might be like to how they could actually implement limiting folks on the hill. Um, we're actually already working with Australian resorts who are opening at the end of June, who actually even have to restrict the amount of pass holders that are going to be on the hill each day and the pass holders are going to have to register online to say I want to come on Saturday. So the big takeaway is these creative set strategies are not going to apply just to passes, but we think it's actually going to roll into lift tickets and other aspects of the vacation as well. Many people are going to wait and will look to put closer in than ever and we'll do so with some hesitancy. Uh, but once pass strategies are in place, we need to continuously evaluate and adapt them really to the rest of the ski experience. Thanks, Rob. You said that there might be a, a, a system similar to when you pre-check into an airport for your flight, that that might be a, a contactless technology that, that we may need to institute for Yeah, the other big thing we're looking at for, the, for next winter is how the base areas are going to have to operate. Um, people might not be able to 
crowd into ticket offices and things like that and queue up at windows and things like that kind of quite like they used to. So we're working with uh, some of our friends over in Austria and um, some of those folks to see what a contactless check-in experience could really look like. How can we reduce those um, those contact points in the base area, get people right out of their car, right onto the lift um, uh, as smoothly as possible. So I think that's the, once we get the past sales strategies out, um, how we're actually gonna have to operate in the base areas is gonna be the next big focus. Right, thanks Rob. Um, Trevor Christ of Intopia, um, you and I talked about right now, um, making decisions based on data is really hard uh, due to the overwhelming uncertainty of the next few months and the upcoming season. Um, questions of will we get open this summer? Will the virus peak again next winter? Um, it's really hard to plan around those unknowns. So what are you seeing being done around messaging right now on, on your platforms? Well, um, the messaging is not surprisingly fairly limited um, that, you know, that people are, when people are talking to their customers, there's not a lot of promotion going on. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of, or I would say the, the majority of resorts have, have gone to, into some sort of turtle mode where they're, you know, just pulled into the shell. And, and if they are, the communications we do see going out are more community service type of communications. Um, we did see in March, not surprisingly large blasts where, where you know it wasn't targeted um, targeted communications but large blasts to the entire to resorts entire databases talk, talking about the fact that they are closing and why and and so forth um, we saw you know across the across our platform we saw a dip not surprisingly in communications that went out in March um, but not as precipitous as we would have thought but in April it's it's the communications out to Customers have gone down by about close to 80%. Um, again, not surprising given that this is typically, you know, past sales season, and and most folks haven't really gone to market. Um, you know, there have been some of the some of the smaller resorts have, you know, did get out there early. And Steve talked about, you know, I think they were may have been one of the first ones to go out there with the with the past product. Um, and other than other than, than them and Magic and a, and a, and you know a handful of others, it seems like a, a lot of folks have sort of been waiting to see what the big boys are going to do. Um, they've made you know the, the the two biggest boys have made their moves now. Um, we're starting to hear more chatter from you know from our customers that we're talking to pretty much on a daily basis that they're they're getting geared up to start promoting. Um, the question in a lot of their minds is what are they promoting though? Um, I, I, you know, wrapping, everyone's still trying to wrap their heads around how you have a, a limited access experience, which is what a social distancing type of ski season is going to look like, uh, combined with a, a season pass, you know, financial model. Um, and I've heard, heard that theme come up a lot today that how do you, how do you limit access when you have, when you're offering unlimited access through a season pass? Um, so, you know, I have heard some resorts talk about maybe there aren't season passes this year. I mean, maybe you go to a true yield management model where you have X number of spots on the hill and every spot becomes more and more expensive um, until you buy that last one. So going to, you know, true airline type of pricing for skiing because, again, our capacity, there's no way around capacity being severely limited this year or this coming ski season. Um, so how do you how do you manage that without irritating your season pass holders who've you know paid money to for an unlimited product? 
I know that obviously we're not alone in this and the, in, in the, the travel industry and the entertainment industry at large. My, my sister actually works for Disney parks and they're trying to figure this out. Um, you know, they haven't, they don't know what their model is going forward either. And I think, you know, it's always helpful for in the ski industry for us to continue to look outside the ski industry um, and see what, you know, see what some of those, those folks are going to do. But, you know, again, they're, they're still working with the small limited set of data that we are in terms of understanding what the new normal looks like. So uncertainty is, is going to be uh, commonplace for months and months. Thank you, Trevor. And there's a question here, uh, Rob, this, you might have an answer to this. The uh, question is, are the Southern Hemisphere operators allowed to operate snow school and F&B? And I would put in their lodging. And, and if yes, what, what are they doing about the capacity restrictions? Are you privy to any of that? Just a little bit. Um, a, lot, a lot of F&B are looking at kind of order, grab and go kind of options. Um, so still offering F&B, but just in a different manner. Most everything, as far as I understand, is they're still trying to operate it just in a different way. So I know that the government's already delayed in New South Wales and Victoria the start of the season in Australia to June 29th. Normally they open on the Queen's birthday, which is like the second weekend of June or so. I think most of the business units are going to be open. They just have to operate a little bit differently um, to promote social distancing and things like that. Thank you for taking the time to listen to episode six of our special Huddle mini-series. The market and consumer mindsets have undoubtedly changed as a result of COVID-19 and will likely continue to change as the situation evolves. This evolution will impact not only how resorts operate, but also the development and sales of these key products. Sam will be monitoring the situation and reporting on our website, www.saminfo.com, and in the pages of Sam Magazine. While you're there, Please consider a subscription to SAM so that we may continue to be a resource for you through this crisis and in the future. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. The Pod SAM advisor is Alex Kaufman, the Wintry Mix podcast guy. I am Sarah Bordeaf, and thank you for listening to Pod SAM.